0: The thoughts, opinions, and general overall shades thrown on Hyatt Nine News are those of the individual speakers and not those of Hyatt Nine News, its audience, or its advertisers. The statements made do not constitute medical, legal, or financial advice. And for advice tailored to your specific situation, please consult with a licensed professional. Welcome to the Hyatt Nine News Hour, where you will hear from cannabis industry experts and professionals from around the country talk about important topics.
1: Fan, yeah, oh, right. Yeah. Good morning, took, everybody. Took a, oh, what's that? Rico? Took a trip back to Plymouth. Oh. I took a trip back, back to Plymouth last night. You
0: took, crazy? You took a trim it, a, a trip black to Plymouth. Is that what you're telling me?
1: The the the, the witch hunts were crazy as a black man oh. back then. Oh boy, I promise I seen it firsthand. Oh boy. Good morning, everybody. It is Friday,
0: November twenty fourth, and today is your welcoming day or excuse me your welcome giving day so you guys are supposed to give give some stuff today okay and be happy about
1: it blackest of all fridays yes exactly
0: it's also may's day buy nothing day even though everyone's gonna buy something today it's black friday national native american heritage day and are you ready for this rico it's also the national day of listening Well, 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 on that, thank you for joining us and getting high at 9 with us. It's also high noon on the East Coast. And please remember to like, share, and subscribe to us on all social media platforms. Use that fancy QR code somewhere on your screen to find out where we live on the Internet. And we are live every Monday through Friday on YouTube. And now we are also streaming on Rumble, Twitter, Twitch, and Facebook. So welcome to anyone joining us from any of those additional uh, audiences but nonetheless, we are going to kick it off with the dope dad himself, Mister Rico Lemite, who, of course, cooks his turkey outside like all men do. That's right. It is the dope dad himself, <laughs> Rico LeMete.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. It's good to be back here on Earth, mm-hmm. Jason. Been, and, um, I don't cook turkey at all, man. I'm a chicken, cook man, turkey. Myself. You just jive turkey. I'm just jive all day. Uh-huh. Nah, it goes with the it goes with the gout thing, man. I can't I can't eat turkey. So um, some jive turkey, son. Is what it is. Mm-hmm. But um, for today's story, I like to go to Maryland, because uh, Maryland's cannabis-friendly governor Moore, set the tone early upon taking office, promising not only that he'd legalize cannabis businesses within the state, but he'd also be prioritizing equitable access, making sure all communities would bear the fruit of the movement. With Prince George County being the most divided within the state, made up of the poorest and most affluent black citizens in the nation at the same damn time, the time has come for residents to vote on how legalized weed game will look locally. And right on brand, PG County locals are divided. Per WTOP's reporting, Prince George County uh, Council could not agree on tightening the rules for cannabis dispensaries on Wednesday. A bill presented would have limited where cannabis dispensaries could be located in the county uh, to industrial areas and business parks and needed six votes to pass, but they only got five. One council member voted against it and two council members abstained. The majority of residents who spoke at the meeting were all in favor of the bill, but Jamil, Adlim, uh, Johnson, Uh, president of the Prince George County's Muslim council voiced his concerns. Communities like ours take on too many vices as what happens in many minority communities, we say it's going to be managed and enforced this way, but take a look at the smoke shops, take a look at the liquor stores. You take a look at now at even truck parking and how it's not being enforced. It's hard for many of us to believe this will be enforced properly and not in a, and not be a detriment to the community. Tony Caffrey, standing in opposition, reminded the council that Maryland had a goal when it came to legalizing marijuana sales. He said this, the stated first priority of the legislature is to stamp out the illicit market so consumers have access to safe product. And this legislation runs counter to the state's objective. I agree, Tony. Council member Crystal Orjada said that it's common knowledge that sometimes communities in the Beltway are not treated equally. Uh, What is told to us, is not honored by businesses. There is a conversation that all these stores will be nice. They'll look like Apple stores. They'll look like yoga studios. But the reality is no one can guarantee the quality that will be in my community. When I go to the liquor store in my district versus the liquor store in Bowie or Laurel, uh, all in Prince George counties, they look completely different. There's bulletproof glass at every liquor store in my district. (laughs) The notion of my idea that every community is treated equally just is not true. She's also concerned about the saturation, oversaturation of harmful products in certain communities like liquor stores, tobacco shops, and fast food chains. The bill is asking for us to be mindful of the needs and outcry of those communities. They have made it clear they don't want to continue to see this oversaturation in their community. Uh, Please put them first for a change over industry. It was very refreshing to see, you know, all these conservative black folks. (laughs) <laughs> and y'all don't believe me when I tell you about the East Coast and in, in the South, uh, because it does it does exist. The oppo- the one opposing vote came from Council Member Juanika Fisher. I do think this has negative impact on social equity applicants, our black and Bro- and brown businesses. I think the conversation between legalization and zoning has been conflated during the entire conversation. We're not here to debate legalization. I also believe when you constrict it this way, the rent that black and brown businesses are going to be paying in very small selected zone is going to be extremely high. Supporters of the bill are Uh, hope to be able to get more members on the council to vote in favor and bring it back up for a vote in the new year as legalization and decriminalization continues to expand nationwide data is increasingly available regarding crime home values and more tied to residential areas close to cannabis operations and so far all are trending positively. So I know it's tempting to scratch the reefer madness itch, especially when you're you've been, you know, conditioned for so long uh not to believe the truth. But personally, I think PG County dodged an economic bullet with this one not passing. But I'm interested in hearing the rest of y'all's thoughts. I'm Rico meet the dopest dad on the street. <sighs> Happy blackest of all black Fridays, Jason. <laughs> what do you think about this one? <laughs>
0: Oh, man, Rico. I mean, are, are you surprised? Are you surprised by any of this?
1: I, I, I think looking at it, you know, like more conservative um, uh, black communities and everything, you, you get to see uh, across the bigger picture. It's more about economics and not as much. You know, you have, you have a bunch of whistleblowers and shit like that, like your favorite ex-president. But um, he, a lot of it is economics. It's not so much um, it has to do with race in certain areas. And we have so much data supporting you know home values increasing supporting communities uh, being uh, um, uh, brought up and benefiting from the sale of cannabis in their zones in their uh, communities in their counties but you still have people like this saying like oh we don't want a bunch of weed shops in here looking like uh bulletproof liquor stores (laughs) and tobacco shops they they just don't get it and and they're just not tuned into reality in my opinion I mean, maybe they want them to look like yoga studios, like they said in the article, Rico. It just sounds like, like their arguments sound a lot like maybe the they first just steer of Orange Orange County. Does it not sound like Orange County? Maybe they <laughs> just don't. Maybe <laughs> they
0: just don't want slum lords in their, in their county.
1: I mean, the Orange County County, Fort California was saying the same shit, and then a couple of years later, after Santa Ana, the only place where they allowed uh, cannabis to be recreational uh, or adult use, excuse me, uh, uh, out here, everybody wants. To add it now because they want a piece of that pie they want a piece of that economic pie and they're like oh it's not so bad after all is it and they want to jump on the bandwagon not late. not not
0: every city in orange county
1: has added it it's just Costa mesa they are starting to evolve because they, they see
0: everybody they, else they, they, that they, money. they are evolving and, and that takes time and, yeah. and with, with evolve you know evolvement takes time so i don't know why you're making such a big deal about it
2: this, the problem
0: it is up. this <laughs> <laughs> What's that the what's problem that is that
3: we're we're comparing cannabis to alcohol, and that's the problem. Yeah. Yep. The problem yep. is that it's a it's a bad comparison. Mm-hmm. Cannabis is not like alcohol. And this is my my problem with those who support the adult use recreational market, is that they are misstepping here, trying to compare it like alcohol. It's gonna be treated like alcohol, and here we go. Here's a, a county in Maryland that's treating it like alcohol and saying, not in my backyard, when in fact, it could be healing people in their in their community. Um, but they're refusing it because of poor uh, understanding of what cannabis
0: is. You're you're exactly right on that, Dr. Talleyrand, because there's a number of different advocates that advocate for the um, treat al- treat cannabis like alcohol um, uh, method. And, and that is one of the big things that 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 resonates with a lot of lawmakers. Mm-hmm. You have it. Yeah, that's a that problem. On? You you have any thoughts on this, Dale? Being an educator,
4: I'd like to think that we can like talk, walk, and chew gum at the same time. I mean, that I we can. need not criminalize adults for adult use, which is a harm reduction from most drugs we commonly consume, whether legal or not. That we need to continue research and legalize research and make research more accessible so that we can pharmaceuticalize mm-hmm. and 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 have that conversation. I think the you know I was there in the room in the middle of the arguments back in 2009 uh with Colorado and California as we launched a public campaign. And the two arguments were do we call it cannabis or marijuana? Cannabis wins. It's scientific. But at the time they thought are you pulling the the wool over the eyes of the voters. Like they thought that it was somehow, you know, this, you know, uh, anyway. And the other question was, do we run that campaign that Colorado really, it, it was created with Steve Fox and Mason DeVert, yeah. uh and Paul Armentano. that it's, it's, they wrote a book on it. It's a great book of, you know, this is safer than alcohol. And for humans, it is a compare and contrast. This is how we absorb information is compare and contrast. And cannabis, marijuana, weed, pot, became this like this scary ghost monster that no one really knew, but everyone had in their own closet, but they couldn't talk about it. And it became so fearful for politicians, their staff, uh, managers and their teams and, of course, soccer moms in the, in the voting booth. And so Safer Than Alcohol, I think, was really effective in showing people this is legal. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what we're offering is safer than what you're familiar with being bought and sold. It used to be prohibited. Now it's not. We don't have bootleggers anymore. But bootlegging and a lot of these violent criminal cartels were created because alcohol was made illegal, and prohibition started and ended in 13 years. We could have that conversation juxtaposed to marijuana prohibition. Now, that does not at all take away from the entire conversation that these good doctors are talking about, which is equally important to continue that conversation, and how we ultimately cracked it was, this is medicine. And you shouldn't be cracking skulls while people are trying to save their children themselves, their moms, their wives, their loved ones. But nobody ever saw that argument until someone they loved had that problem. And so it's, we just have to keep having multiple conversations about this. There is no silver bullet.
0: There is no silver bullet. There is not, no. And one more point about the- And social equity is a big
4: part of that too, yeah.
0: Yeah. What's that, Dr. T? The,
3: one more point about the argument for um, looking at this as recreational versus medicinal. Um, you know, aspirin is available over the counter. You you can go and pick it up without a license, without a prescription. Um, and cannabis can be the same. So if it's, if the argument is better access to make it recreational, that doesn't make sense to me either. Uh um, make it over the counter make it so that you don't need a recommendation to pick it up, but, but call it what it is. It's really a medicinal product. It's not a recreational product. Uh, well,
4: I think so the word recreational my- is also problematic. Yes, Dr. Is, Talleyrand is. is that what we really, it's, it's adult use, medicinal use. Mm-hmm. We have responsible use at the core of all of this. Like what that's really what we're just looking for is responsible use, mm-hmm. whatever you are using it for. The thing is, is unfortunately in our current, American society to put something through a pharmacy, which is currently how over-the-counter is, is usually sold, it, it's still just a freaking plant that we can grow in our backyard. And so, th- 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 I, I, again, I think we can walk, talk, and chew gum at the same time. I think that, that cannabis can be made safe and safely available. And if adults are consuming cannabis over alcohol... any doctor would agree, especially at this point, they're saying, yeah, remember that glass of wine. Maybe not even that. (laughs) Like it's, it's poison. Uh, And, and so if we can replace poison, whatever that happens to be with, with cannabis for me, it was tobacco as a like 17 year smoker. Uh, And that will kill me eventually. Um, And so having that conversation of responsible use and adult use And and you don't necessarily have to go to a pharmacy uh, for tobacco either. And tobacco will kill you. Aspirin will kill you. LD fifty is what around you know half a bottle of most yeah. Mm. So it's you know many things we commonly consume can kill us. Water can kill us. It is about responsible use.
0: Water can kill you. I remember. I remember that. uh, I remember that thing that they did on the radio station one time where they made a lady drink a whole bunch of water for a, like a Nintendo 64 or something and she ended up dying. Yeah, that just happened. Yeah, that a the-
4: mother of two or three, a poor mother yeah. of kids trying to just get something for her kids Christmas and now she's dead and they don't have a mother. Um, yeah. yeah. Water can kill you. Yeah. D- stupidity yeah. can kill you. Hello Darwin Awards.
0: That is so true. And on the stupidity kills, we're going to go to a commercial we're Or we're ignorance Can I say ignorance? No, we can, kills. I say stupidity how's it going guys Saman Razani coming to you from Green Street here with Jason Beck smoking on the best weed in the world did you know that we have an audio only version of our podcast available on Apple Google Amazon iHeartRadio and Spotify tune in now and check it out (laughs) oh man they're, they're, they're telling me, Adam, in the chat. They're saying that my mic is down. Oh, they're saying that I'm good. Okay. All right. Adam says I'm good. You guys tell Adam something in the chat. I don't hear you, Rico. I think you're on mute, buddy. I think you're on mute. Yeah, you're on mute. I'm finding me. I don't, I don't know. I don't hear Rico. But all right. All right, Rico. I'm just going to go into my story then since no one, since you can't talk. I don't know what's going on with you, buddy, but here we go. Here we go. And this is for you doctors, okay? Since we have two doctors today, I found a medical story for you guys. A genome study unveils genetic ties between cannabis use disorder and lung cancer risk. Now, just by the title, I feel that this is already written by some prohibitionists, but I want to see what the doctors have to say. In a recent study published by Nature Genetics, researchers conducted a genome-wide association study, GWAS, to gain novel insights into the uh, pathophilosogy of cannabis use disorder. Pathophysiology. Pathophysiology. Thank you, Dr. Mark. Pathophysiology of cannabis use disorder and public health Concerns associated with the disorder. Cannabis is a psychoactive drug with a long history of illegal use. Many, uh, that paragraph doesn't matter. Recently, many countries throughout the world have approved the use of cannabis for medical purposes and decriminalized its adult use. In the United States, medical use of cannabis has been authorized in 37 states, whereas adult use cannabis is available in 19 states. With the recent changes in cannabis law, a gradual increase in the prevalence of cannabis use disorder has been observed worldwide, they say. A GWAS meta-analysis of cannabis use disorder was conducted using the Million Veteran Program Database, which is one of the largest biobanks in the world that compiles with genetic health and lifestyle data to facilitate genetic research. Additionally, a meta-analysis was conducted on data obtained from 1,054,365 individuals of European, African, and mixed American, and East Asian ancestries designated by the reference panel used for the assignment. Single uh, nucleoid uh, polymorphism, SNP, based habitually was calculated within each ancestry using population-specific methods. A total of 22 independent genome-wide uh, significant GWS Loki were identified w- within European ancestry, two GWS Loki within African ancestry, and GWS locus within a- admixed American ancestry, and two GWS Loki within East Asian ancestry. That's a lot of Lokis. The lead sMP for European ancestry was near the collagenic receptor nicotinic alpha two submit encoding gene for African ancestry the lead sMP was in intron of gene that encodes for a ph dependent proton coupled amino acid transporter for glycine aniline and Pro proline for uh, admixed American ancestry, the lead SNP was in an intergenic region uh, downstream of the leucine-rich repeat, contaminating containing 3b. For East Asian ancestry, the lead SNP was intronic to the symphorium 6d encoding gene. Comparative analysis of cannabis use disorder and cannabis use trials with a range of psychiatric and non-psychiatric traits showed a much more substantial overlap of cannabis use disorder with pathological and negative traits. The calculation of SMP based uh, herbality within each Ancestral group identified significant SMP-based herbality for three larger ancestries, including European, African, and mixed American ancestries. The comparison of genetic correlations between cannabis use disorder and cannabis use uh, revealed that the strongest positive correlations are related to smoking inhalation and alcohol dependence. Comparatively, the strongest negative correlations are related to the age of first inter intercourse and smoking cessation further analysis identified a bioretical casual relationship between cannabis use disorder and schizophrenia regarding the differences between the cannabis use and cannabis use disorder the analysis showed that cannabis use disorder is much more closely associated with psychopathology a a uni a unidirectional casual effect of multi-site chronic pain on cannabis use disorder was observed in the study, and this indicates that chronic pain might act as a driving factor for cannabis use disorder. The analysis further identified a unidirectional casual effect of cannabis use disorder on lung cancer cancer. Um, conditional analysis of this result was smoking inhalation did not significantly alter the relationship between cannabis use disorder and lung cancer. However, the conditional analysis with cigarettes each day mitigated this relationship. A transeptomy-wide association study identified 36 and 15 genes using the adult and fetal brain fetal cortex expression Respectively, DALR uh, ana- anecdote con binding domain containing 3DALRD3 was the only common gene in these gene tests. Uh, nonsense mutations in the gene are known to be associated with developmental delay and early onset epileptic encrothopathy. And the observed gene associations included four district GWAS loci, including DALRD3, both fetal and adult, and ERCC8 fetal, and RP11-629G13.1 in adults, and plppp 2 for adults. Proteins encoded by these genes are associated with various cancer types, including breast cancer, um, Es- esophological cancer and multiple melanoma the uh, and uh, the estationin of smp-based herbality of cannabis use disorder showed significant enrichments for the fetal brain frontal cortex but not for the adult brain cortex this enriched fatal smp based herbality indicates that the development brain that the that in the developing brain genetic factors might play a role in inducing cannabis use disorder even in the absence of cannabis exposure the study finds a significant difference between cannabis use and cannabis use disorder and genetic liabilities to cannabis use disorder exhibit a much stronger association of psychopathology and disability no Notably, the study finds a casual link between cannabis use disorder and lung cancer risk. Well, I just read a whole bunch of stuff that I would love some uh, in-depth intellectual knowledge on from our two doctors, esteemed <laughs> doctors that we have on here on the panel. And thank you so much, doctor, well, for your first help with some all, of those words. Hit, I don't know what I just read. Hit the <laughs>
2: applause button for making it through that um... That article, Jason, you did a great job.
0: Amazing, that's what I'm talking about. Thank Where's the you. applause button? Should I, be I don't know, button. Adam. Adam, they're asking for the applause button, Adam. There we go. There we go. Adam there is on, on it. Yes. So, there we go. Dr.
2: Gene, you want me to take this? Go for it. Go, it? for it. go for it. Yeah. So, so this is this is super interesting and really cool on what they're doing in terms of trying to read correlations between. Cannabis use dis- disorder, I always think of, you know, okay, what is that exactly? Well, that's just stoners, okay. So stoners. So whenever you hear cannabis use disoners just or disorder, just insert you know the word stoners in there. It's okay, what are they looking at? And so this SNP or these things called single nucleotide polymorphism, which is a just a fancy word for a marker in a in a piece of DNA. And what they do when they do these, um, what was the other acronym you used, GWAS, is a genome-wide association study where what they look for are um, correlations between, again, I guess a population of stoners, Mm -hmm. (laughs) people who suffer from cannabis use disorder. And what they see is they start to see correlations. And I really like that this crosswise correlation to to cancer susceptibility is really, really cool because now you're kind of looking at like how cannabis acts on the human genome to kind of reprogram it, or maybe again, just to send off little alarm uh, uh, signals to physicians like Dr. Talleyrand around patient susceptibility towards certain diseases, cancer in particular, which would be really, Cool, because then you would look at maybe other symptoms and say, hey, we shouldn't ignore that. Let's have a CAT scan done or let's, you know, look at this patient a little bit more in depth. But I I think this is just the beginning of what they can do with, um, you know, everyone's talked about like genomic analysis and it's not so much reading the information because we do have now the sophisticated tools and things like CRISPR and all these other acronyms that win people Nobel prizes and things like that. But these things have great utility in the arena of medicine To look at real unknown between kind of like cannabis and cannabis use is how our own bodies, which are expressing the receptors that cannabis and the cannabinoids bind with, is just really a such an important piece of the puzzle and I think studies like this will help scientists and doctors and medical professionals really understand not just cannabis use disorder I think that's just kind of like a bullshit term for again stoners people who use a lot of cannabis but to understand what that does at the genetic level and how that influences different uh, susceptibilities to diseases but I'd be great to hear from Dr. Talleyrand if he agrees, like, with what I'm saying here.
3: Well, you, you bring up a good point. I, I mean, the the reason for genetic testing is really to predict, right? I mean, in the practical real world, we want to be able to predict if you're going to have a negative outcome uh, from something. But using genetics alone is problematic because there are what we call epigenetic factors, factors outside your DNA. And um, for those who, who have trouble understanding, think about a blueprint, a blueprint for building a house or, or remodeling a house. Often you have a blueprint, but when you actually go and do the remodeling, it doesn't actually completely follow the blueprint. There's real world, and there's the, uh, there's the, the DNA, right? Uh, and and looking at the real world is important. So when you think about cannabis use disorder and their ability to say that, uh, uh, you know, 10 to 30 percent of the population has cannabis use disorder. But when you actually look at the real world, you, you don't see that. You don't see people having problems with cannabis. Then you just have a, a poor definition already. And then trying to link it with genes just makes it poor on top of poor i'm not a big fan of this study this came out of yale um and i i have concerns you know that yale is being funded by the pharma industry and is looking to pull out negative uh uh, uh information on
1: candidates i'm with uh, that but yeah
0: so 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 dr t labels this as a prohibitionist piece
4: well and the editor think- didn't Sorry, I was just going to add the editor didn't help. And I'm I'm blaming the editor because it's usually the editor that chooses the headline that at the very end it says, "Oh, and there was not not causal, but a casual link." And that becomes the headline of its lung cancer. I like I'm just like just can we just even aim for any semblance of accuracy in the headline that never gets pulled back. It's the headline that is the jolt to the system that everybody points to, not the retraction, not showing that the mm-hmm. the metadata studies actually excluded anything that showed anything positive as far as results, and also only studied people with problems instead of all the other people that had no problems that raised their hand because they didn't to be a part of this study. It's just frustrating as I'll get out.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, that and and the well established 40 year study of Dr. Donald Tashkin at UCLA, which basically proved exactly the opposite of what the government intended it for it to prove, which is that like cigarette smoking, smoking cannabis was going to lead to lung cancer. And what he found was that people who smoke cannabis had lower incidence of lung disease from people who don't smoke anything at all. It's protective, uh, yeah. same yeah. with alcohol. Yeah, Right, yeah. Yeah. describes the, the prophylactic properties that these compounds have when inhaled into the lungs. Now that doesn't mean, and Dr. Talleyrand, correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't mean that smoking weed can cure cancer. It does not mean that, but it does mean in a statistically significant, and this wasn't in mice neither, this was in humans, which is great, <laughs> funded by our tax dollar, right? by NIDA because they wanted to prove it to be bad right and they found that it wasn't bad at all so I mean yeah and
4: even this study I thought I read a sentence um in the not the study but the uh the uh your your story that even said that something about you know tobacco use might might have played a part and that's the other issue with a lot of these studies is they don't account for tobacco use at all and then they point to the cannabis as part of the problem when it was the tobacco that they were also smoking or the blunt which i try to explain in class is once you wrap it in tobacco you're smoking tobacco
2: yeah i mean dr t i totally hear what you're saying about it being done at yale and certainly connecticut big cradle of the pharmaceutical industry but here's here's my thinking People are using cannabis, and this population that they studied, this cannabis use disorder, those are stoners, they're linking this now genetically to enzymes. I mean, think about it. This is <laughs> kind of like the outside-in insult of these compounds into the human body. And what these folks are reading genetically is how is the body genetic at a genetic level reacting to it? As a scientist, I'm like, cool, we need to know that because, you know, like, now, does it is it efficacious, again, against certain aspects of cancer because you're getting cannabinoids into the fatty tissues of your body where free radicals can do damage? I mean, absolutely, and that's why we say the underpinnings of all cannabis use is medical because of this antioxidant, anti-inflammatory activity that you get no matter how you use cannabis. But at the end of the day, and I agree with what you're saying, is that, you know, if they're trying to draw some, you know, connection between cannabis use and cancer, I mean, that train's left the station years ago, and that ain't that ain't happening. <laughs>
1: exactly, revisionist. Go they ahead. want Jeff. us to make that connection. They can't, sir. Mm-hmm.
4: And yet they still do.
1: They still try
0: um nick nick in the chat he's saying uh that he he, he brought he, he brought up the u.s health department patent on cannabis as a neuroprotectant and uh they told me i was right. wrong
4: no they actually have two patents uh on, on
2: it's that. expired now it expired Did they
4: were new oh i thought they renewed. they didn't renew uh, well, this well
2: i don't know if the uh, new one's I, expired i know that the classic one from from 2003, the neuroprotectants that they filed. The ironic thing about that is that they smuggled the cannabinoids into Bethesda from Mishulam's lab back in the 60s to do that initial work. So they broke their own laws to basically get that work done. So,
0: but it also
2: shows, and Dale, you bring up a great point because the US patent office doesn't give a shit about drug policy or drug law. When they find an invention, they found that these things had this neuroprotective properties. And part of the neuroprotective properties is, again, these these cannabinoids act as antioxidants to quench reactive oxygenated species, which lead to free radical mediated damage that often underpins cancer growth. So it's just beautiful that the government itself has demonstrated medical use when Schedule 1 says there is no demonstrated medical use. So how could the plant from which these compounds are derived still be Schedule 1 claiming no medical use when the USPTO, a different branch of the government, has independently said these things have medical use because they have neuroprotective properties.
0: And uh, in regards with this, Dr. Talleyrand, Nick in the audience has has a quick question for you. He says that his neurologist has told him five plus times that cannabis causes seizures. And he he says that he asked him where he's taken if uh, he asked him where if he's taken further education on cannabis and he wouldn't answer him and just doubled down that cannabis causes seizures and basically said, I've been doing this for 25 years and you should listen to me
3: doing uh, his doctor told him that he's been being a doctor for 25 years
0: yeah 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 that he's been a doctor doing this for 25 years and he should listen to him and and basically not and and so what I would say is that the medical
3: yeah practicing for 25 years Mm -hmm. the medical establishment has not acknowledged the endocannabinoid system or uh done any work on educating on the endocannabinoid system and so i wouldn't look to his doctor his neurologist as an expert in in uh, phytocannabinoids or the endocannabinoid system um you know unless he's looked outside of medicine and and looked at the science then um he's not speaking from a place of authority
1: all right and i'm getting just, asked just because if-, just if you've been doing something 25 years don't make you good at it that's right well and my point was
3: Practice
4: you need to keep practicing and keep learning and there's you know if you go by what he learned 25 years ago in medical school then he's right. probably not a great doctor if he it's isn't staying on top of new yeah. information find another doctor is my recommendation
0: he would be considered like a politician that is unwilling to evolve but on that we um I'm getting told we got to go to a commercial we're going to be right back I'm Jason Beck and this is Smoky Vanilla and if you want to feel as good as I look then you need to get yourself a stretch and smoke with Smoky Vanilla. That's right, baby. I'm Smoky Vanilla with my
2: background in kinesiology. I'm a sports massage therapist and stretch coach. I focus mostly on athletes who have chronic pain or injury due to their sport, or the legends of the chronic in
0: the game, baby. Oh, yeah, you know what it is. We just stretched and now we're gonna
1: smoke, because you know what it is. That's right. I love intuitively creating a session based on the individual I'm working with. We'll go through a few assessments, look at the past health history, injury, or anything that's still affecting you today, and create a customized session just for you. Let's go.
0: We are just going to, we're going to roll right into Dr. Gene. We're a little behind time. So we're going to roll right into Mr. Dr. Gene Talleyrand. He's the founder of CESC and the founder of MediCan, where you can get your medical cannabis recommendations. So that way you can be a patient too. That's right. is none other than Dr. Gene Talleyrand.
3: Thank you, Jason. Happy Friday, everyone. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving with family and friends. So while you are deciding whether to have turkey or stuffing, South Dakotans have been thinking about mandating medical cannabis education. for dispensary employees. My headline today is from Inside Higher Ed, South Dakota College Proposes Cannabis Education Requirement by Katherine Palmer. South Dakota voters approved medical cannabis in 2020, but the industry still has critics. Can an education program for cannabis dispensary workers improve the industry's credibility? Benjamin Valdez, Vice President of Academics at Southeast Technical College in Sioux Falls presented the preliminary idea to the state legislators' uh, Medical Cannabis Oversight Committee earlier this month. The proposed certificate curriculum would include courses on medical cannabis laws, pharmacology, ethics, compliance and dispensing, and a capstone where students would demonstrate their knowledge in an industry setting. Valdez told the committee, if we are to ensure the safety of citizens of South Dakota and of this narcotic as it's being dispensed in the form of medication, we are advocating that we look at some form of education for these individuals. Valdez said that as far as he knows, South Dakota would be the only state to require formal education for dispensary workers. Currently, the state's administrative rules require all dispensary employees to receive training on record-keeping, safety, and security protocols, but don't specify further training requirements. According to state data, there are more than 12,000 registered medical cannabis patients and more than 90 dispensaries in South Dakota. Though voters approve medical cannabis, Governor Kristi Noem has characterized cannabis as a social ill and opposed any form of legislation. Voters also approve recreational cannabis, but Noam authorized a lawsuit arguing nullification of the recreational cannabis amendment because of the state's constitution requires addressing only one subject at a time. Valdez has no position on whether the state should approve recreational cannabis, but is more concerned about educating the industry and the public. Through education, we can ensure that we have those best practices and safety components in place. Uh, lawmakers questioned the logistics of the educational requirement. How would the education be delivered? And would dispensaries be temporarily shut down as its employees earned the certificates? Valdez told the commute committee that his college has the capacity to teach the courses in person, hybrid, or online, but deferred to the legislators on whether the dispensaries would need to shut down as its employees took the course. Char Gamble, CEO of Emerald Consulting, is supportive of the concept, but has concerns that the training curriculum might require too much time to complete. Kittrick-Jeffries, owner of multiple dispensaries in the state, is also concerned about a backlog of employees needing certificates prior to hire. Jeffries feels medical professionals should be required to take the training rather than the $12 to $18 entry-level employees. There's a lot of nuance in helping patients and finding out what products best fit their debilitating conditions. But that relationship goes back to their doctors, he said. Higher education should never be mandated for entry-level staff. California's oaks dam University offers more than 25 courses on various aspects of cannabis and the industry. However, the courses are not mandated in California. Over the years, the focus on medical cannabis has dissipated as adult-use recreational laws limit dosage, raise taxes, and make cannabis less accessible to the medical patient. South Dakota is considering a proposal to legit legitimizing cannabis by mandating education. Is this a good move? What do you think? This is Dr. Jean Talleyrand with Hyatt 9 News. Well.
0: And I think Dale could speak to this the best. I think a lot of it depends on who you're going to have as the educators that are going to teach these programs and really, really educate um, what's real and what's not.
4: They were describing what we already do. Uh, Have I mentioned the buttender's guide? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) I think that education is crucial but shutting down businesses over something that is 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 honestly not that dangerous, I think, is a bridge too far. So, yes, some level of education. I am surprised California has not mandated. They are not the first. Uh, Utah requires it. Um, Maryland. There's several that require it. Uh, but it's um, yeah. I appreciate the name drop in the article. We would be happy. Shout out to my husband, born and bred in South Dakota. So uh, trusted. <laughs> and yeah, more power to them for for recommending education. What I'm looking for here is the basics uh, to maintain public health and safety. Mm-hmm. Just like food service, it's this is more about people understanding proper handling, wash your hands after you touch your ass, kind of stuff. Like this is just basic food safety um, and and recommendations around not over consuming, especially when it comes to edibles, which I feel are probably the most dangerous for novice consumers. And those around them
1: Why has that not happened here in California, Dale?
4: Great question. Great question.
2: Well, you it can't happen at universities unless they have a Schedule One license. If it's a plant touching thing, they need a Schedule One license, and then all the weed has to come from the University of Mississippi Schwag Grove. No,
4: whoa, whoa, whoa! whoa. You don't need weed to teach. Don't be a dumbass, though. Like you don't need right. actually. I'm just cannabis.
2: saying, if you're looking to teach, plant touching. And, you know, horticulture and production and extraction and analysis and all the business stuff that Dale's referring to. But um,
4: but that all shouldn't be required. Right. That's the medical right. or that's the market deciding, you know, how. How much do they want to invest and, and what kind of PhDs do they want to hire, depending on, on what they're...
2: Yeah, so my, my story from last week was Minnesota, and what they promised that they can do in Minnesota is actually do testing on products that are currently available in Minnesota. So it'll be interesting how much they could push that limit in terms of education. Yeah,
3: this is a public health, health a safety concern. It, uh, it's not to benefit the industry, it's to benefit the patients or the consumers right? Whether you consider yourself a patient or not. And that's what needs to be cautioned. I mean, we are seeing increase in people coming into emergency rooms, especially elderly. This is what we're trying to prevent as an industry and as a society. And so it's, you know, some basic education might do that.
4: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, And the good news is, is most of the, even though there's an increase in reported in the emergency room that they're walking out afterwards, unlike Many of the other drugs that put people into the emergency room where they have, you know, whether it's liver intractable liver damage or other problems from that overdose. uh, That is um, it's good that we're able to finally be honest uh, with the medical profession um, and and not just get tossed in jail for having used it. Um, Yeah, the per se criminality.
0: You know, who I really wonder their thoughts on this whole thing because you said this is south dakota right dr t that's right i want to know what governor christy noem thinks about this i hope to uh, talk she, to her
4: let me put that in the universe hi christy yeah. i'd love to chat with you
1: yeah we would yeah, love maybe to she chat. maybe she can call on her good uh her good trusted advisor herschel walker he can fly out there and <laughs> give her some uh, facts about the that. article <laughs> says uh,
3: by someone. the article says she considers it a social ill Cannabis,
0: yeah, I, I, yeah, she's no, a I fan. Know she does. I know she does. That's why she I'm wondering what she thinks about this.
4: This is a gift from God, Christy. Don't question. This is a that's, gift that's, from that's, God. It is man that made that's, this that's, illegal. That's, that's probably Democrats, as a, that's a matter of fact. It was.
0: It probably was. That's I agree with you on <laughs> that. Mad <laughs> ill.
1: Yes. All right, Rico, you ready? Are we ready? Yep. keep it rocking. Let's <laughs> roll. So this highly recognized expert in organic chemistry specializes in natural product chemistry plant oil extraction analysis and chemical modification and you know what he always brings us the mad science to close out the hour each friday it's my honor to introduce dr
2: mark Staldone. thank you rico happy friday everyone happy thanksgiving hope uh, you had a great uh holiday didn't eat too much food and you know happy um uh what can i say can I, okay happy black African- friday african-american friday african-american African- oh, friday boy, you
0: guys happy black friday everybody make sure you can spend I some out, money
4: this is one of those times where black is good like in, yes. in our vernacular, because it's always like they always say, "Black is bad. Oh, it's dark. Oh, it's scary." No, no, black means you're making money. It's it's dollar bills. Yes. You're in the dollar, black.
1: Dollar bill, that's right. Shout, that's, out. That's Shout out, for Afro, capitalism <laughs> Friday. I'm no longer using African American as Afro American because <laughs> I have an Afro. I'm not African. So you oh, can boy. take that. Oh boy. All right, all right, Doctor. Well, I have a roll. black hat
2: and I have black hair. <laughs> so I got two um, black
4: hats. That's I got nothing.
2: Where yeah, where you're black today? But again, my story today comes from vaping 360. It's about our favorite THC isomer, delta-8, and it's entitled "Delta-8 Gets a reprive as the 2018 Farm Bill is Extended to 2024." Let's see, do the math. What's 24 minus 18? Oh my God, that's four years. So four years without passing a Farm Bill. Okay, so the 2018 Farm Bill that legalized hemp production in the United States has been extended until September 30th, 2024. Wow, quite a ways into that year. The extension is part of a short-term government funding bill signed into law November 16th by President Biden that protects the legal status of hemp-derived cannabinoids like Delta-8THC for at least one more year. 2018 farm bill had been scheduled to expire this year on September 30th Congress in the 2018 law unwittingly created a major market for hemp derived cannabinoids hemp derived intoxicants I'm sorry uh, that in some states compete with state regulated marijuana and compete with the say it here black market weed everywhere Ooh, Both non-intoxicating CBD products and psychoactive hemp-derived cannabinoids like Delta-8 and HHC, amongst others, have flourished under the protection of the 2018 law, which legalized not just hemp production, but also the substances naturally found in hemp, except Delta-9-THC. The 2018 Farm Bill specifically legalized the can't plant uh, the uh, plant cannabis sativa L. and any part, including seeds thereof, and all derivatives, extracts, cannabinoids, isomers, acids, salts, uh, salts of isomers, uh, whether growing or not, uh, with delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol, i.e., THC concentration not more than 0.3% on a dry weight basis. Last year, federal appeals court confirmed that Delta 8 THC is legal under the wording of the bill, and uh, even the Drug Enforcement Administration has conceded that cannabinoids naturally found in hemp can be sold without concern over federal enforcement. But state laws do vary. Uh, what is in the farm bill, and why does it matter? Uh, the Farm Bill, actually called uh, the Agricultural Improvement Act, is one of the largest, most complexes pieces of legislation Congress considers. Uh, almost in the same league as the defense and budget bills, the bill is renegotiated uh, renewed every five years oh okay so here it says it renewed every five years and we're only within that four-year window that's that's that makes me feel better hemp and related uh, uh issues are just a tiny sliver of the bill among other things that sets federal policy of agriculture nutrition conservation and forestry the Farm Bill includes expenditures on nutritional assistance, commodity supports, agricultural disaster assistance, and crop insurance subsidies. Because the bill's scope and the financial impact, it attracts attention from a huge number of lobbyists and special interest groups with a broad range of concerns. It was uh, the bill in 2014 that created a pathway for farmers to legally produce hemp for the first time since 1970 but uh, in 2018 the bill removed regulatory control of hemp from the drug enforcement agency DEA uh, and handed it to the Department of Agriculture the USDA. Delta 8 is on the chopping block in next year's Farm Bill. A few Congress a few members in Congress who supported legalizing hemp in 2018 knew that the action would create a legal industry built around intoxicating hemp-derived cannabinoids, but now they know. And if they don't, a law enforcement uh, anti-drug and marijuana lobbyists will be pointing it out to them soon. Over the next year, Congress will negotiate and debate the Farm Bill, which will likely include some changes in hemp regulations interestingly uh it's not uh just cannabis prohibitionists that want the new laws to crack down on the psychoactive hemp industry some groups that represent state regulated marijuana businesses would also like to rein in the sales and manufacturing of intoxicating hemp products various pro and anti-cannabis groups are lobbying uh, with a variety of new hemp bills in or new hemp rules in the next farm bill. These uh, among other changes have been so far suggested. Increasing the allowable amount of THC in hemp to 1% where it is rather uh, now at 0.3%. Some say suggesting uh, allowable levels uh, to 1% but including all cannabinoids in the total amount allowed including THCA in the total total level, or the allowable level of Delta 9 THC in hemp, banning hemp-derived cannabinoids completely or limiting legality to cannabinoids that are actually extracted from hemp plants, regulating all forms of THC in the same way, raising the legal age to purchase any cannabinoid to 21, requiring the FDA to regulate CBD in food and dietary supplements, eliminating DEA testing requirements for farmers, uh, growing uh, hemp solely for industrial purposes, primarily for fiber, and relaxing bank um, regulations for hemp farmers and businesses. Lobbying will shift into high gear when Congress returns into session in January, uh and legislative proposals for updating the new farm bill will begin to take shape soonly uh, thereafter so that's the story uh it's pretty much just kicking the can down the road which is going to allow this um uh part of the market just to continue to flourish uh in spite of some of the lawsuits we heard uh, uh and stories earlier in the week like from meg sanders and the folks in massachusetts as well as the group in California, where a group of uh, Southern California dispensaries have uh, got together and are filing a class action lawsuit against some hemp-derived um, uh, product manufacturers. But uh, that's the story. Be interested in what you guys have to say about this. And happy Friday from the great state of Vermont.
1: Happy Integrated Friday to you, Doctor Doctor Mark. Uh, <laughs> J- Jason, you're <laughs> Jason yeah, yeah, I mean, your favorite uh, line here is like, oh, yeah, the farm bill, the new farm bill is coming. The new farm bill is coming. sounds like it's going to be more of the same the status quo. You know what? what I, I, I think you're right, Rico. I think you're right about this one because every time when
0: I was hearing everything that Dr. Mark was saying, it made me think that, oh, this is just going to be more of the same. And apparently the hemp lobby got some good lobbyists now
2: well and is isn't it true that the usda's regulation which is the farm bill runs out at harvest so if that if that hemp has already been deemed hemp and then that goes off to some processor and turned into cbd isolate how does that fix converting cbd isolate by people who never touch a plant at all who are just playing you know chemical manufacturer in a warehouse somewhere and are converting cbd into thc chemically you know i mean they didn't anticipate that and i think you know we've been through this before but i guess this is really regulation that you can't look for the farm bill to solve it's the fda's it's in the fda's bailiwick because once harvest happens that corn becomes food right And so, for Del Monte to sell cans of food, they have to, or cans of corn, they have to have an FDA registered food production facility that's regulated by the FDA to make sure people aren't getting sick from eating cans of corn in their corn casserole for Turkey Day. (laughs) But think, think of it like this, like if the FDA, if the FDA actually regulated after harvest, there would be regulation for what you do with that hemp bring it to use in markets where humans are going to consume it or come in contact with it Mm -hmm. they've dropped the ball on that has nothing to do with the farm bill at all right i
0: i i think you could be right about that they definitely have dropped dropped the ball and there's definitely a big lack of enforcement they're just basically letting anything go when it comes to hemp it seems like to me
1: it has everything to do with optics Mm -hmm. that's it yeah that's that is so 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 true.
0: Uh, we're we're, we're going to keep this show going. We got one more story for you guys. We have that's right the chancellor herself, Miss Amsterdam University. Keeping no, up. Oh, Amsterdam Miss, Miss Amsterdam. Miss Oaksterdam University. My bad. <laughs> <laughs> Miss ah. Oaksterdam University <laughs> drunk herself. On who? who is who is constantly showing us how to keep up with the joneses that's right it is none other than dale sky jones
4: mrs jones if you're nasty thank you so much i appreciate you each and every day my friend and while many americans just celebrated thanksgiving it is crucial to remember the rich history of our native peoples of this land my family lives in oakland on ohlone native lands And my story comes to you by Ashley Southall at the New York Times. Four young black men like Justin Sullivan growing up in Harlem in the 2000s, came with regular harassment from the police, making it risky to use cannabis. But when he started making white friends who also smoked weed, he learned that they were not under the same scrutiny. And that is when I started seeing how I was vilified for cannabis, Mr. Sullivan, now 34, said in an interview. Included with New York's legalization of cannabis in 2021 was a central promise to give back to communities that were most harmed by the war on drugs. And now state cannabis regulators have created an interactive map from 1.2 million marijuana arrests conducted across the state over the last four decades as a guide to which neighborhood's qualify. Mr. Sullivan's distressing experience could give him an advantage as he seeks one of at least a thousand licenses that cannabis regulators in New York state plan to hand out early next year in a broad expansion of the legal market. Harlem, once a hotbed of drug arrests, is pinpointed in the mapping tool as a leading candidate for redress. New York set a goal for half of all licenses to be awarded to applicants from the hardest-hit neighborhoods, along with women, racial and ethnic minority applicants, distressed farmers, and service-disabled veterans. Regulators will use the map to help determine if applicants qualify as belonging to a disproportionately affected community. And it serves as a clear reminder of how drug enforcement arrests in New York have been concentrated in low-income Black and Latino communities. This isn't, wasn't, darts on a wall, said Tabitha Robinson. Uh, She is the Director of Economic Development Policy and Research of the Office of Cannabis Management. This state agency released the mapping tool last month and regulates the adult use market. Across the country, from California to Massachusetts, similar efforts to make the industry more inclusive have struggled. It has been no different in New York, where an interim dispensary licensing program has been halted since August, by a lawsuit from veterans who say they were illegally excluded. Researchers who put together the mapping tool analyzed the home addresses of all people arrested in New York state from 1980 through 2021. Enforcements in some neighborhoods was as much as 10 times higher than it would have been if arrests had been evenly distributed across the state, according to the state's chief equity officer for cannabis. New York City accounted for the most arrests, about a million. The places with the most disproportionate arrest rates were all in the city, a jagged stretch of Brownsville, a boxy tract anchored by a major public hospital in East Flatbush, and a triangular expanse of East Harlem surrounding the Robert F. Wagner houses. Arrests in the city were highest in the 2000s and early 2010s during the peak era of stop and frisk, a period when police conducted millions of mostly unlawful stops targeting Black and Latino men. Researchers have found racial, uh, stark racial disparities in arrests that could not be fully explained by the police's uh, persistent claims that they were driven by emergency calls and community complaints versus racial bias. While the sum of marijuana arrests contributing to the map is staggering, it may be missing millions more encounters. Millions more encounters. This data set does not include stops where officers issued criminal summons or wrote tickets for small infractions where they took no action at all or where they used marijuana as a pretext, but the stop did not result in a marijuana charge. And we all remember the stop in Frisk, and the second you pull it out of the pocket, it becomes a crime. Mr. Fagon acknowledged the map's limitations, but he said he still believed it's captured the areas most harmed by marijuana arrests and provided people who have lived in those places with a pathway into the legal industry. The state designated 40% of cannabis sales tax revenues to fund reinvestment grants in the places where arrests were high. People who have lived for certain periods in those areas can get priority considerations for business licenses, discounts halving, cutting in half the application and licensing fees, and financial assistance, training, and help with operations. Besides serving as a guide, the map will also serve to track whether the state is keeping its commitments. Uh, The urban studies professor at the University in Buffalo, Henry Lewis Taylor, said the map will help determine whether businesses and job opportunities in the cannabis industry are flowing to where they're needed most. It will also be useful for assessing whether future investment initiatives like job training and healthcare programs make a meaningful difference. Uh, Dale's side note, so would uh, help with small children, uh, early education and early um, uh, childcare assistance. Uh, we're able to see whether or not and to what extent these communities are going to benefit from the legalization of cannabis. And so I think this is a hugely important and significant opportunity. These cannabis sales that these initiatives depend on have lagged amid New York's slow and chaotic rollout. Only 27 adult-use dispensaries have opened across the state since last December, although those sales have already reached $83 in the first nine months with the help of the new farmers markets. Um, I strongly encourage folks to uh, continue reading. Mr. Sullivan in particular is kind of an interesting story because he uh, wants to open a dispensary in the barber shop that they've owned in Harlem for nearly sixty years. That would be on Frederick Douglass Boulevard in the stretch of Harlem where cannabis arrest rates have been four to six times higher than the state average. And while he's never been arrested as a Harlem resident and of course having black skin, uh, he has uh, definitely had uh, interactions uh, with law enforcement and he is what the state would call a legacy dealer, someone who is part of the marijuana industry before legalization. Uh, And this is a group that officials are keen on drawing into the legal market. Uh so after his grandfather opened the barber shop and migrated from Georgia became a successful business person uh he was sent to prison for 6 years um, in the late 70s on charges that included marijuana distribution uh and Harlem has changed quite a bit since then uh his neighborhood is disappearing and uh they're lucky to have the privilege of having space uh and so it's important that we all support folks just like this to be able to use their space and place to be a part of the legal industry uh says the um, peanut gallery sitting in this chair um i also plan to be in new york city so if you're in the sound of my voice and you are also in new york city next weekend i mean that's like a week from sunday december 3rd we will be uh screening and having a lovely after party Uh, For American Pot Story, Oaksterdam, we will be at Regal Union Square. So Union Square on 12-3, in the middle of the afternoon, red carpets at 3-30. And I hope to see you here. This little thing right there works. If you've got it on your screen, you can just scan it and get tickets. So hopefully I will see you soon, New York City. I love you. Thank you.
1: Um, Dale Scott Jones, y'all. Dale Scott Jones. Yes. I mean, What do you think uh, about this? I I think... I think we should be showing more of these maps over and over and over again to to remind people.
0: How much do you the think shit you was
1: can... disproportionate? Much... If, you, if you have if you have if you have way more well, um, white people in white neighborhoods that are um, statistically more drug users and drug uh, dealers, then they're not getting arrested and they're not heavily policed. If you show people these visuals, uh, maybe it'll start getting through to them. And they'll start understanding why the struggle is so disproportionate in our neighborhoods and and uh, the struggles that we have to go through is not the same.
4: So this we'll is how you. we got cops, moms, and the NAACP on board back in 2010, uh, were a lot of maps that Drug Policy Alliance and, and other uh, groups helped us do to show what was really these dis- disproportionate arrests that were happening in California, and that triggered a whole series of, of actually taking a look and you're right, people are visual and, and those facts don't, don't lie.
0: How much do you think this study cost?
4: Uh, it, this particular study. Mm-hmm.
0: It's just, just an estimate. I know, I know it didn't say in the article. I'm just wondering just how much, how much do you estimate?
4: Well, this is, this is data, right? So you're not having to go you're ask right. people necessarily. You're going backwards and looking at, at,
0: yeah, yeah, at historical yeah. instances and like compiling all the data, but that's still
4: Probably a half of, a million a lot, dollars
0: it's, Yeah, it's a lot of data entry
4: it's Probably a half a million dollars by the time they were done
1: Interesting Half a million bucks and how much money can be generated from that, you know what I'm saying? That's an investment mm-hmm. It's part the of the internet. beginning
4: of the investment into these communities You have to identify who has yeah. been disproportionately affected to then be able to inject help, and I'm just here to ask that the help that these communities get isn't only in the form of we'll teach you entrepreneurship because that is such a tiny percentage of the population that what we need to be doing is investing in the base of these communities and the safety nets of these communities that's where these tax dollars need to go not in anyway this workforce is where most of the people need to be jobs with dignity
2: have have you been in new york have you been in new york since they've legalized like New York City, like like Manhattan.
4: I have not spent near enough time. I feel like I everywhere I just left just legalized <laughs> everywhere I've. Yeah,
2: while well, Dale's mean,
0: out there, she's going to be frequenting all the trap shops.
4: It's time. Yeah, it I mean, J- like Jason. That.
2: That's that's the truth. Is is, is that
4: last time? Yeah.
2: Is that just down know. the block from Harlem, where 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 we were at, which is mid Midtown Manhattan? Mm-hmm. There were there were you could look up and down the street and see 20 trap shops i'm telling shout you out,
4: happy monkey what? shout out happy monkey yes oh, that is the yeah. last yeah. place i was in New york they're, city they're,
2: they're, they're, they're oh, everywhere I'm glad, I'm
1: glad ramon yes. david
4: i just talked the to them two days ago because they're gonna be on on sunday they're you know gonna what? be with us you know yeah. you know
0: what's funny is is i was spending some thanksgiving time with some friends and uh friends of family and uh one of these family members that i hadn't seen since i usually only see him around thanksgiving usually uh they, they told me that they uh that that they knew vlad and i was like get the fuck out of here What a small world. Who doesn't
4: know, Vlad? You know, Vlad, when I walked into Happy Monkey, it reminded me so much of old Oaksterdam. And they were one of the first to actually let in public officials and their staff and news cameras. And it's desensitizing, destigmatizing, introducing people that this is not as scary as you think it is. It's just a bunch of people in a room safely consuming cannabis, just like the bar down the street, like, Mm -hmm. except less and cigarettes <laughs> so
2: it's yep. it is yeah. really
4: uh not that scary and that's why i really shout out happy monkey is because they were brave enough to put themselves out there early when it was still very dangerous and there's a I, lot I, just like i advised yeah. i
0: advised them to do that early on oh as
4: yes. did i, yeah. I was, yeah. yes yeah
1: yes <laughs> mm-hmm. people people think you're yeah, stumbling into it like an opium den or something yeah. like that like You'll be very, very surprised. Yep. Yeah. You know, we are at. We are uh, well over time today. Great discussion today. Always, always a pleasure on Fridays. We have the most cerebral, forward-thinking minds in the industry. Getting high at nine with us. Mm-hmm. Thank you all for joining us for yet another episode. You can catch us live weekdays at 9 a.m. Pacific, high noon on the East Coast. Big shout out to our super fans showing love, getting their comments posted live on the big screen. To our live audience and online supporters, catching us across all media platforms, tuning in each day. To our vetted correspondent team, tuning in from all over. Thank you guys for such a great conversation today. To our production team, Cloud Media Partners, all of our sponsors keeping the lights on and our AV struggles to a minimum. Always Cannabis, Tiva L, the reason we... Show up to read these stories every day, thank you. It has been Friday, such a diverse and equitable oh, Friday. Boy. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> November, <laughs> November 24th, 2023, shows over. You've all been blessed with the top industry headlines. Help it's enough for you to pipe, put in your pipe and smoke, at least until Monday. Dr. T, what you got for us today, my man? You're know, leave us with a, a great message for people.
3: Uh, Thanks, Rico. Thanks, everyone. Let's see. Uh, Well, let's remember that we're not going to get anywhere without education. Uh, That's where it all begins. So uh, open up a book, read an article and uh, be critical.
0: And not all education is created equal, right, Dr. T?
3: That's why you got to be critical.
1: Yes. Yeah. Ask questions.